You are listening to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the advancing journeyman developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Tick tock on the clock, but the potty don't stop. No. While all the abstract stuff we've talked about in previous episodes in regards to date and time are great to understand, it's a lot of work to figure out exactly how to apply what you've learned. There are lots of libraries that can help you when working with dates and times, and there are a number of best practices that you can implement to avoid getting burned by date-time-related issues. We're about to discuss several of these issues and the best practices around them. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, apparently I'm fighting a cold. All of a sudden, I started sniffling and sneezing and everything else, uh, just like couple minutes ago. It's kind of weird. Well, at least on the plus side, Turkey Day is over. Got through that this last week. I think we had, gosh, I don't know. I think we had about 40 people come through this house. <laughs> wow. Thursday. I mean, it was just so many people and like a bunch of them I didn't know. And um, yeah, so that was, that was just a lot. Um, then went, you know, went to my parents' house and cooked again there. And, you know, kind of, I've been really taking it pretty easy. I've, I've like been doing a lot of stuff that's, you know, prep for, mm-hmm getting going on things. So like I've, I've cleaned up my to-do list a lot. Like I keep everything in Nosby and I used to have like five projects and now I've got like 30, literally everything I've got to do is in there. Every aspect of my life. Like I went through the whole thing and did that. And other than that, uh, I've almost got the, the floor in the workout room done as well as the floor upstairs in my daughter's room. So like I bought some more stuff for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, this is kind of the deep breath before the plunge as far as a lot of things. Cause I'm just, I'm waiting to fully recover from the surgery, so I'm antsy, but I can't quite do everything I need to do yet. So, yeah, it's it's been pretty good. How about you? Well, yeah, I'm a Kesha fan. Get over it. Have you seen the video for her new song, Praying? Nope. It's awesome. You should check it out. It's really good. Yeah, see, like, I haven't watched MTV t- since it actually had music on it. Yeah, I don't know that there's ever vid- music videos on MTV anymore. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> like, the more I think about it, I'm like... Yeah, they rebranded. No wonder That's, no wonder millennials are so messed up. You have music video television that doesn't have music or videos on it. And the History Channel that doesn't have history. Right. <laughs> you know, although they do have, you know, the, the conspiracy theories about mermaids and, you know, how Hitler was an ancient alien. Well, that's true. That's but, true. Uh, <laughs> and then you have YouTube that's neither about you nor a tube. Well, the Internet's made of tubes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. Is is, is, it, is uh, what's his name? Uh, Senator Stevens in Alaska. The guy that came up with the internet is made of tubes. I have no idea. I don't know if he's still around or not, which is weird. I should know that probably. So while well, you got a lot done this weekend, I didn't get anything done. All of my time was spent with family. Uh, I've got a new niece. And then the other two think I'm the coolest uncle ever. So I got to... To spend all my time hanging out with them. I'm not complaining at all. It was very relaxing. If you can count hanging out with a five-year-old and a seven-year-old relaxing. Compared to some of the other stuff I've had to do recently, it was relaxing. Give them fencing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Calm that right down. <laughs> we, we mostly played Minecraft. And uh, it, w- it was nice out Friday. So I rode my bike down. And 
they were climbing all over it. One of my, my younger niece just absolutely loved it. The five-year-old, she was asking what every button on the bike did and twisting the throttle going vroom, vroom, vroom. She was excited. Nice. <laughs> but, um, I did get one tradition in. I usually go see a movie. I uh, went and saw Justice League. I was also in the news. And for for the people that are curious, no, he was not describing what the nader sounded like. <laughs> he didn't lose a trailer. No, no, they uh, this time <laughs> they were interviewing people about the new um, outdoor mall around where we live, and I just happened to be over there going to the movie theater when the news crew was out there interviewing people, and they. I guess they like people that look like us, long hair and, and beards. Well, they so. never know what's going to come out of our mouths. That's so true. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I, I was on the Channel 2 News here in Nashville. I uh, posted a link to Facebook. And uh, also, if you want to hear my review of Justice League, check out our Facebook Live from a few weeks ago. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately with the holidays and a lot of driving and stuff. But I wanted to get some of the longer episodes in one drive. So I've been listening to it at uh, 1.5 speed. How's that working out for you? Are you able to retain? Yeah. They do that. You get used to it and then you don't. So at two, it's a little too fast at 1.5. It just sounds like someone's talking fast. Yeah. I, I just wonder if, how that I don't would know if you ever had me. a professor that talked fast. I've got a coworker that talks crazy fast. Like the running joke is it's like, Hey, if you could give her like a couple of Red Bulls and she'll go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I just wonder how well you, you you retain that because I've I've got like this huge backlog of like a hundred podcast episodes on my phone mm -hmm. to listen to and you know various well, topics. Ease yourself into it. Get one of the ones that's on a topic you either know a lot about or that I don't care too deeply. And yeah, it's, you know, I, and there's a couple of them that have got guys that have got voices like ours where mm -hmm. we kind of have the drawl. I, I don't know if you do this when you public when you do public speaking, but what I like to do um, because I know people don't like to listen to our voices, you know, at that slow speed sometimes is, you know, those little uh, Starbucks cold brew coffee deals yeah. that have got like the honey and cream in them. Well, I found out if I chug two of those, my, my drawl goes away. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Now you slightly vibrate in place, but you can give a speech like nobody's business. So the shows I've been listening to at that speed are kind of longer. Uh, our friends over at Coding Blocks yeah. have some pretty long episodes. But they also have some great topics. Like they recently did a thing, a book review on some of the architecture books by uh, Bob Martin. Yep. Uncle and, Bob. Uh, and so it wasn't highly technical, but it was still really interesting and really useful information. Um, and so I, that's where I started. And they have, they talk a little slower. I also listened to our junior developer toolbox crew on 1.5 speed. That's interesting. I you bet. To, yeah. How does that work with Aaron? Oh, it, it's it's hilarious. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of that specifically. Yeah. But apparently, after a few hours of listening to people talk at 1.5 speed, everyone else sounds slow, and I sound angry. <laughs> so it's sort of like the guy that that tells his mother that his his, his girlfriend is kind of slow, so talk slow, and then. You know, tells his girlfriend that his mother can't hear well. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Something to that effect. Uh, I, I listened to it going up to my family, and apparently they thought I was mad at them when I got there because I was talking so fast and curt because you get used to that speed. Right. Like, if I listened at, like, two, 
like twice the speed, I don't think it would have had that effect. I think I would have kept it separate, but at 1.5 speed, it was just fast enough to where they still sounded kind of normal and the pauses were still long enough for me to recognize this is a pause in speech. Huh. Okay. So it, it still sounds normal enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking to see, I don't know if my podcatcher will let me play stuff at different speeds and I can't tell, Yeah. Um, which is really irritating. So speaking of sounding curt and angry, I've got something Twitter-related for IOTs. This week I've got a project called Hack a Typewriter to Tweet What You Type. Now, I've seen steampunk keyboards built with typewriter keys, but this goes a bit further. With this project, you take an old typewriter, the entire thing, and using a microcontroller, convert it to a twit writer, tweet writer. I don't know what you really call that. Basically, the project starts by recognizing that all the keys you'll need to tweet might not be on an older typewriter, so you'll need to add some. Then they use a particle proton microcontroller because it comes with the Wi-Fi enabled, but you technically could use any microcontroller that's available and add a Wi-Fi dongle or a Wi-Fi hat to it. They also get kind of creative with reading the keystrokes as the photon only has 18 mixed signal GPIO and a typical typewriter has around 50 keys. So to mitigate this, they toggle between the different rows of keys. It's kind of a really creative way of doing it, and you can read more about it in the link I'll provide in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? We got a Twitter comment on the Anti-Patterns and Distributed Team episode from Oliver. Speaking of Twitter? Yeah. This is a great podcast, guys. About Spanish language, we have tons of accents and localisms in every country and even inside each country, but I think the same apply for English. I agree that all the members must be able to communicate fluent and clear without ambiguity. Thanks, Oliver. We we appreciate the comment. And we agree with you. Uh, we've both had bilingual coworkers where English wasn't their first language. Yeah, we both had coworkers where English was their first language, but they really it probably should have been something else. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's here's one for you guys, and I want you to comment with the movie if you know it. Listen, lady, I only speak two languages: English and bad English. Yeah. <laughs> Will knows the movie. Do you? <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, I'll say I was impressed with how some of my coworkers that are bilingual can respond so well and so quickly in conversation. Yeah, because learning a language is not easy. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have the mental circuitry for that you know, to be an easy task at all. And I mean, I can speak bits and pieces of several different languages, but no. being able to respond in a conversation, I don't know how well that's going to go. That's right. Oliver also sent us a link to a list of places where English is the primary language. Um, but uh, Oliver, send us a direct message with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Path and Tumblr and... As of a couple of weeks ago, we are on Instagram, though we haven't posted anything. But uh, check us out each week on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, or Periscope. 
We're still getting used to the live feeds, and we'll be adding more of those as we learn how to do them. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. So in previous episodes in this series, we talked about how dates and times have been used historically and how computers deal with them. In this episode, we're going to discuss best practices that you can use while writing code that needs to work effectively with dates and times. Best practices can help you from preventable errors and make it easier to reason about the code. We're going to discuss 17 bad assumptions that developers make and how to mitigate them. Many of these assumptions come from an article on creativedeletion.com, which we'll link to in the show notes, whereas the mitigation strategies come from several other places, mostly Will's experience and some of mine. So the first one we have is assuming the day is 24 hours. Yeah, and this is really dangerous, right? Because that's kind of what you're taught in elementary school. Like really the most painful things that you learn the hard way in computer science are the stuff that isn't 100% correct that you're taught in elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> and and the reason this is an issue is, um, first of all, daylight savings time mm-hmm. will jump up and bite you, right? Like you could have a day that is either longer or shorter right? based on whether you're springing forward or falling back. It, it's best mitigated by most developers – Via making it someone else's problem, such as using a library. Yeah, just be smart about this because if your app, like if the core purpose of your app is not dealing with calendaring and those kind of things, using a library for this is probably smart. Exactly. I mean, like you just just don't want to build this stuff yourself. The number of hours in a day is a whole number. Yeah, and this uh, this one's also dangerous because of um, a variety of things. Um, it usually happens unless the UTC offset gets changed, which can be done by a government. Yeah, and they do this, you know, fairly often. It's usually smaller governments because, you know, larger economies, the amount of mess that that makes when they start screwing around with that stuff, they don't really like doing that. Mm-hmm. But it can happen, and the fact is, if you're writing your code and you're actually building the stuff yourself, you just exposed yourself to a bunch of bureaucrats. Right. And not in a good way, but... (laughs) (laughs) We also have to think about leap seconds, including the possibility of a negative leap second. Yeah, because they add the leap seconds basically to compensate for time shifts, but things can slow down, too. It's not just speeding up. Right, right. We all that can, kind of stuff. I mean, it's like it's it, right now the the planet is geologically unstable enough that that's not a big issue. You know, mm-hmm. so did the whole air quotes thing. But if it sets, you know, if if the crust didn't create earthquakes for a long period of time, tidal friction would slow the slow the planet down enough where you would have to do that. So stuff like that can happen. So if your system needs to know something at the accuracy of being by the second you need to measure seconds and convert to hours later. In other words, don't go, I'm going to keep track of hours and fractional hours. Keep track of seconds and then project that to whatever it needs to be on display. That'll that'll help keep your accuracy up. Now, the other thing is, if you don't need to know stuff to the second, you can kind of round. Like, you know, for instance, um, if if you're doing something like, okay, we're, we're processing 10 million records. And we want to have a time for how long it took to process 10 million records. And your time is normally like 15 hours. If you're off by a second because there was a leap second, 
Do you know who cares? I'll give you a hint. The number of people that care is a positive integer less than one. <laughs> is that a positive number? Yeah. Technically. Wasn't sure. I'm pretty sure it is. Let me double check that. It, uh, you're, you're right. It is because it's counted. Because it's not negative. Yeah. Well, and, and we're getting really nerdy here, but if you look at the way numbers are handled, it is taken out of the positive numbers to account for it. Right. Not the negative. So it is considered by computers a positive number. Yeah. And there's a lot more theory in there. But anyway, we don't want to get into that. I love how we got that deep into it without actually mentioning what the number is. <laughs> yeah. Another really unsafe assumption is that the first week of the year starts on January 1st. Now, we, we didn't really talk about this before, but what is the definition of a week? And it turns out the International Standards Organization actually has a definition for this. And they assume that a week starts on Monday. January 1st is not always a Monday. And so this can throw week numbering schemes off. So you could have a situation where the first week of the year actually starts last year. I have never had a problem with that ever in any JavaScript app that I've ever written. Right. Trying right. to create enumerated episodes to go into Google Calendar. Never <laughs> had that problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's painful, right? Because yeah, you, you think, okay, the first week of the year, but most of the time, if people are thinking about things on a week-by-week -week basis, they don't really care what year it is. They just need to know, hey, this is their time block that they're, uh, you know, this is their cadence. Right. And so we start dealing with cadences of things, those boundaries get a little weird. So if you're thinking like sprints. Right. It doesn't matter when the sprint is. Uh, we, we've got sprints that, that cross Christmas and New Year's where I work. And the nice thing is because of the way that Scrum works, we're able to put in, hey, we're going to, the whole team is going to be out this number of days. So that reduces the number of hours that. But there will be some hours. Yeah. Of course, the other thing too, you know, programming sprints, you're, you're kind of lucky in that, in that there's not a real high expectation for things getting done between Christmas and New Year. Most Speak places. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I was like, you know, should I use the, you know, should I take the three days off the, you know, between Christmas and, and, and New Year's? You know, we I had that mm -hmm. discussion at work. It's like, yeah, but if you come in, you still don't, you're not really, really going to do anything. Yeah. A lot of uh, my coworkers took three days off between Christmas and New Year's and the three days off after New Year's. Right. And taking six days off, they get like 16 days off because of weekends and the holiday and just like that's a smart idea i ought to do that i could totally do something to think about yeah indeed um, talking about playing around with dates and times right but you, you understand that like the cadence like your days off is determined by one cadence probably right how many you get in a year mm -hmm. whereas the cadence of the sprints is determined by the week mm -hmm. and, and so you have to sort of be careful about that and, and don't assume that it starts after january 1st right so the first ISO week of the year can actually start in the previous year. Whereas, you know, the way we understand it isn't that way. Well, and we're very imprecise in our language around time too. Mm. Okay. It's the first week of the year. Well, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Oh dude, we're, we're imprecise about things like this weekend. Well, today's Monday. When you say this weekend, do you mean this previous weekend or this upcoming weekend? Right. Or did you or did you mean that, you know, yeah, I'm going to have this done by eight o'clock on Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're we're very precise in computing with dates and times, but that isn't a thing with our language. Mm -hmm. 
So the big thing here is when somebody says week, get a clear definition for what type of time span they actually mean and when they mean for it to begin. Does it begin on Monday, begin on Sunday, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. When they say the first week of the year, do you mean the you know a week from January first, or do you mean like it's starting on some boundary day? You know, you have to. This is a thing where you've got to get good requirements. Otherwise, you're just lost. Right. Next is given a local date, time, and location, I can derive UTC time. And the answer to that is no, you can't. <laughs> so here's another place. You know, this is why programmers hate hate daylight savings time. Everyone hates daylight savings Right, time. but programmers hate it so much worse because so many screwy errors happen. Um, so when daylight savings time is in the process of occurring, in other words, you're falling back, the same local time can map to two different UTC times. You know, in other words, like, was it 2.30 in the morning? You know, when it switches over, well, which one of those two is it? Like, you know, because he fell back. Yeah. So there's two occurrences. In other words, it's not a function. There's not a one-to-one mapping. Right. Oh, so it's it's only at certain times can you not make this assumption, but because you have those certain times, the nice thing about it is those times are at least predictable. Yeah, they are. Um, however, on the other direction, sometimes those times don't occur. Really? Yeah, when you leap forward, right? So you could say, hey, 2.30 in the morning. I forget right. exactly what the time frame yeah, it's, is, it's a, but... It's it's 1 to 2, 2 to 1. Right, I... I because, I mean, crap, I just sleep then and I let the clock update itself yeah. or I go fix it. So, the the thing is, that is also a known right. time that that's going to happen. So, if you do have to deal with these, at least these are known times that you're going to have to deal with them. Uh, known-ish. And the reason I say this is because, do you know who determines when daylight savings time happens, if it happens, where it happens, and to whom it happens? The government. That's right. Bureaucrats who do not have to implement stuff determine that. And so let's say you have an app that's running in an environment where it doesn't get updated, you know, regular software updates. Mm-hmm. This could be a problem for you. You know, if it, you know, like if it's air, you know, if it's air locked, you know, that, that the time may really matter, but you may not have access to that information. So it could, it could be an issue there. The nice thing about these is that most of the time people are asleep when it happens. So like if you're dealing with a user base, like the problems that a large user base can cause with this, at least the the odds go down as long as you're not in a hospital or as long as your app isn't international, right? Because, hey, you know, let's say that, you know, say India and Pakistan are having a border dispute, which they never do, right? And, you know, they take a chunk of land, they move it from one side to the other, whatever, one of them says, hey, now that we have this, now it's in this, you know, it gets daylight savings time when it didn't before, right? And this is a real world consideration. You have a whole lot of users in India when that switches over, but your app happens to, I don't know, help map the local nightlife in that part of the world. And so all your users are on then, or it's a backup app. It's running at 2.30 in the morning, right? That, that can really hurt. In other words, like the, the volume of users that you have when this happens also makes a big difference. So when these things get moved, you know, like in that kind of situation, uh, one thing you probably want to do is if a time looks like it's going to occur during that window, you actually want to send the users some kind of notification beforehand to go, hey, you know, either this time is not going to exist or it's going to happen twice, which, you know, whichever one that is, how do you want me to deal with this? In other words, you got to be proactive 
what's actually going to happen to you in reality is, is you're not going to be prepared because nobody is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people don't sit around and watch for date time shifts unless they really don't have anything else to do. You might get wind of it. Maybe you can prep. Oh, if you're, if your app is really if, around this, then you probably will be. Right. But what, what usually gets you is it's like a second order effect. Mm-hmm. And so your app does something and it just happens to be like, oh, yeah, I send out a reminder at this time of night for, you know, our newsletter. Well, people yeah. in this particular slice of heaven right here get it twice. And then people over here didn't get it didn't at all. Get it at all. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that can be kind of um, that, that can be a little bit problematic if you don't code things well. Now, another thing to think about in that whole aspect is. You know, if you're if you're taking an action on behalf of a user, you don't say, okay, it goes this time and only this time. Like you shouldn't be doing that anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You should have some flag to say, yes, it has started. Because you could have latency, you could have some kind of clock issue, you could have all kinds of other things. And this will really burn junior developers a lot of times when they build stuff, they go, Okay, this goes off at two ten in the morning. Well, you know, the system, you know, got rebooted at two oh nine and it didn't come back up till two eleven. Now the event didn't happen. Well, you don't want that. So you do have to think, you know, your your design practices should be built around avoiding this anyway. Right. But if you're kind of green, they might not be. So the next one, speaking of daylight savings times, is that it doesn't always move the clock backward or forward by a complete hour. Right. Because bureaucrats are jerks. Some places only move it by 30 minutes. Yeah. And I think there was one that did it by like 15. Yeah. So you can't even really make up. Well, your your talk about India and Pakistan, you know, there are certain areas where two countries side by side hate each other so much they don't want to be in the same time zone. Right. But then you throw a few more countries in there that don't, none of them like each other. So you get 15 minute time zones. Yeah. I mean, you, you get you get stuff like that. And then you also get things where, like, I forget what the, there was an island nation that like they took all their clocks and they said, yeah, we're in two different days part of the time and we don't want that anymore. So we're going to move it. And, you know, it's part of a unification process or it's part of a breaking apart process. Right. I would imagine, too, that another phenomenon that's going to come up later is you're going to have cities that start forming in places where there haven't been big cities before. Like, for instance, if you look at Dubai, right? Dubai used to be a desert, just hole in the wall, nothing there. Mm hmm. If you look at pictures of Dubai now, that past is not apparent whatsoever. Right. Let's say that you have a big city like that that springs up out of the desert and it happens to be on one of those mm-hmm. one of those time zone lines. They're going to move it so that half the city isn't in one time zone and half in the other. And that right. could realistically happen. And that, that that happens. If you actually look at the lines, they're not straight lines. They they move around a little bit yeah. to avoid entire cities, like splitting a city in well, half. Like between us and Chattanooga. Right. Right now, I, you know, I grew up in McMinnville, so I'm, you know, I grew up 70 miles southeast of here. And, you know, the the time switch was, what, an hour and a half away, something like that. If there if there ended up being a major city between McMinnville and Chattanooga, they would figure something out. So it's not just that the, you know, the time zone may shift, but it may shift for just a geofenced area. And you got to know, like, you got to know where your users are and all that kind of stuff. And it's well, that's really like, complicated. I, I recently went to an event with uh, with my family at Laverne High School. All right, mind you, Laverne High School is the high school in the town over from where I went to school. 
their high school is actually because they needed land to build it is actually in the town that I grew up in, like right on the border. But they extended the border of the neighboring town around the high school area so it would be inside that town. Well, yeah, and and you look at like geographic boundaries, which is a fascinating topic. Yeah. Like if you look at the shape of Tennessee, like the top isn't perfectly flat. There's that little, it goes over, and then there's like this little divot down, and then then yeah. over. The reason is is because the guys that were coming across surveying, there was a place that had really good beer or something. <laughs> I forget beer or liquor, but it was like you know, hey, let's go twenty miles south and get that, and then we'll go straight over because it was seventeen hundreds. Like they didn't expect accuracy anyway. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and you know, similar things still happen. It just you got to have a little bit more money to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So next daylight savings time is observed in the first half of the year and not observed in the last half. Yeah. Except for, you know, that whole half of the planet below the equator. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. People, it's strange how much the global South gets forgotten when we discuss a lot of this stuff. And it's, it's mostly because, you know, a lot of the tech developed up here other than Australia and New Zealand. Africa and South America for a very long time did not have the whole computing thing as much. They are starting to really bloom on that. And all the assumptions that people are you know, made in the Northern Hemisphere are starting to blow up in their faces now. Well, when a lot of these things were created, the world was a much bigger place yeah. in terms of you could write an app and only expect it to ever be used. By English speakers yeah. in America. Yeah, because I, I remember that transition in the you know late 90s, early 2000s when people were like, oh, wait, this can go overseas? Wait, mm-hmm. people in Mexico want to use this? Now what? Yeah. You know, because like they had, you know, like labels on forms that were just hard coded with the text. Like you didn't mm-hmm. pull that from a resource. It was just, oh, you know, nobody's ever going to use this. It doesn't speak English, right? Yeah. And, and it wasn't. Nobody needs four digits in the date. Like this, uh, we have, we've continually made assumptions that have burned us over and over again. Mm-hmm. So this is now, one you want to make. Some of those were s- space allocation. Yeah, you know, some of them were processing yeah. time because you know internationalizing an application will make it slower because you got to look up and go, okay, what is their language that they sent in their user agent or their operating system, and then get the right thing. And, and so it is an extra layer of indirection. So that you know that happens, but you know the thing is, is when you make the assumption on this that can kind of hurt, especially mm-hmm. with the Southern Hemisphere. So you shouldn't write your apps with the assumption that your local conditions are the conditions for the rest of the globe. Just full stop. We can't do that anymore. You know, unless it's like extremely local. Like if it's an app for Nashville, maybe you can, but then you can't expand beyond Nashville. Probably not a good idea. I mean, if it's a, if it's an app for Nashville that you want to expand beyond Nashville, you're going to have bigger things to yeah. deal with. And like, it's just, it's expanding that is going to be part of the bigger things you have to deal with. Right. And I mean, honestly, you could you could probably give East Nashville its own time zone just because of the difference in traffic. You know, just be like, yeah, yeah they're going to be an hour late. So we'll just roll it back to, you know, to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always got to make fun of my East Nasty peeps. So one thing you probably should do is store things in UTC time and then convert to the user's local time rather than trying to do DST calculations yourself mm-hmm. with their local time. You know, in other words, make this somebody else's problem because there's people that really, really care about this stuff. Well, that's one of the that's one of the whole benefits of the UTC time is you have UTC time and then the local, you just go, okay, what what is your offset from UTC? Right. It's gonna be real weird when we become a um, interplanetary species. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I don't hope to write that code. You probably will be retired. 
by the time that we're interacting. Right. Uh, you know, TCP IP isn't going to work between here and Mars either, just as an FYI, because, you know, the speed negotiation that happens and the whole chatty packet thing. <laughs> just <laughs> just to FYI. <laughs> so here's another one. And it's the same kind of set of assumptions. DST starts in spring and continues until the fall. Well, mostly. Uh, the country of Morocco actually suspends it during Ramadan, sometimes, depending on when Ramadan falls. And this huh. is because of you know people fasting. Yeah. Right. So they're trying to set the time so that yes, people can you know they can do the fast and they can do what they're supposed to do, but that's like an hour less of them just being ravenously hungry. Right. It's just it's it's kind of a comfort thing and. You know, that and all the other stuff going on because there, well, there tends to be like stuff going on at night yeah. after that, too. So they're just they're trying to schedule it. So you got to you got to watch that. Well, the, the big thing here is you have to realize that daylight savings time is not scientific. It's political football. Yeah. You know, you can rely on it about as much as anything else that politics has its hands in. Right. Yeah. You don't ever write code with the assumption that politics is going to stay static. Right. Because <laughs> that really hurts when you don't do it. Um, and again, the, the solution here is to build your apps to either offload the work of determining DST or to largely ignore it and convert to local time mm -hmm. after the fact. But make this somebody else's problem. Right. Next, if I have a timestamp for some point in the future, I can store it as UTC and then convert it accurately to local time. Yeah, you can, except when you can't. Yeah, like when they change the time zone rules. Yeah. Or when they change when daylight savings time is, because that's happened not too long ago. Yeah. Or when they, you know, you're storing it for, far enough in the future and there's a leap second introduced. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the deal here is, is that if it's critical to get it right and the input came from a user's local time, you may actually want to store both things. That way, you know, if, if the time zone shifts or if, you know, a leap second occurs, you can adjust those time entries because you've got both values. In other words, it's the, it's the local time and the UTC time that it should represent if nothing changes. And then you, you work from there. So here's another one. Um, and that's the idea that time zone rules are static. And as we've said earlier in this episode, LOL, no. It's just generally a good rule not to assume that variables are constants, especially when every government on the planet can get in on the action. Um, I, I can't reiterate enough how painful that is when you hard code something that you think should be static and the government changes it and you've got deployed software at client sites. You do not want to be in this situation. It's just, it's horrendous. Now, you can do a few things here. Um, you can watch for when time zone updates come out and actually message the users in the impacted zones if you need to do so to adjust things that are potentially going to be damaged by this. But you pretty much have to be proactive on this one because you don't want to be reactive and find out that the time zone shifted and all the users in this one area now hate you. Next, I can trust my OS to keep the time accurately. Right. And you can trust somebody that says they're honest. Promise. <laughs> Um, is that a JavaScript promise? <laughs> it's a political promise. <laughs> um, you really can't always trust your OS. And there's a lot of reasons for this. The first is, is that it's subject to human error. Uh, people that have run old versions of Ubuntu sometimes don't quite have the time up to date. There, you know, there's been some issues with that. Um, another fun one is when your, your computer is actually a VM. So you know, you got a, you got a virtual machine, 
your web server's running in there, you're doing your thing, and somebody suspends it in the hypervisor. Mm -hmm. Depending on the OS, you might not know that. And so let's say you you know you did a thread.sleep for one second, and you come back Rip Van Winkle-like yeah. two days later, and you think a second has passed. So if that, if that was a critical time operation, you have to be extremely careful not to trust the OS time. Isn't it supposed to, the OS is supposed to tell you when it's going to do things? Yeah. So, <laughs> supposed to. Yeah, I know. Um, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. So, there, there's a few things that can go on. One, um, you know, you'll get callbacks for like power events. Um, but there's ways of actually just saying, hey, I'm going to snapshot what's in memory right now and just freeze it. And then it can come back on. Another thing is the system could be under load. Right. So you get, you know, you get the power event, you have a certain amount of time to respond, but because it was under load and your thread didn't get enough priority, you couldn't respond in that amount of time. Um, there's, there's a lot of those little things that can happen. Another issue is network issues. Network issues can make the system clock be inaccurate. Remember how we talked about how network time is, is calculated yeah. with NTP. You know, if you've, if you've got wildly different network times and, you know, possibly inaccurate machines on the other end of it, it might not be correct. And the big thing here is to get your time from an authoritative source if it is critical. And it probably is. You know, your your system oh, time yeah. really should be accurate, if at well, all I mean, possible. Talking about the, the VMs, I just think of all the trainings I've done, which they, they do on a VM. Right. And the time is always off on the VMs because it just, they you they come in before the training class and re-image the VM. Yeah. Every then, single time with the time. And they don't connect it to the internet mm -hmm. to get its time up to date. Right. Right. And, you know, you bear in mind the other stuff that's built on top of this. So things like Kerberos, you know, your authentication, all those kind of things, they're going to be broken. So get your time from an authoritative source. Don't just assume that the OS time is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. You have to have countermeasures if it's really critical. Now, here's another one that gets people. Um, I've actually seen this happen a couple times, and that's where they assume that the shorthand for a time zone identifier is unique. So you have somebody in America. Like this this was really bad as software became international mm -hmm. because they said, oh, you're in the CST time zone, right, which is central time U.S. However, that can also be central standard time Australia. It can be Cuban summertime. Um, there's a couple others, I think, too. I didn't know that. I thought that I, I, not knowing time zones internationally, thought that because within the U.S. they're all unique identifiers, I thought that, okay, it's like an international organization that gives unique identifiers like airports. Well, they do, but that is the three-letter acronym isn't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I thought yeah. it was. Like, like airports have their three-letter thing right. that... Central time, standard time, this is CST. Yeah, I just, I, yeah. I thought that too, because it made sense because within the US, the only time zones I've dealt with, and if you're not thinking internationally and you've not had to deal with that, then you wouldn't know. Yeah. And it can be real pretty when <laughs> things go wrong with this too. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to display it this way for a user, like with the real, uh, the real deal. But you do need to get the, you know, you need to collect and store the real time zone specifier when you collect things. You can still show it as CST. If they're local to the U.S. Mm -hmm. and they're in central time, you can say CST. And you can do the same thing for the Australians. You may have a problem when the Australian flies to America or vice versa. So you do need to kind of think about that. Uh, but, you know, this is more of an app design kind of thing mm -hmm. is don't 
treat stuff that's you you know treat, don't treat things like they're unique when they're not. I understand that. Next, you can calculate the number of seconds between any two UTC timestamps more than six months in advance. And if you've listened to the previous episodes, you will know exactly why this is a bad assumption. Right. And, you know, it's because leap seconds are potentially announced six months in advance. So more than six months, you can't actually project whether a leap second is going to be announced because Mm -hmm. they're not at predictable intervals. The thing is, if this isn't critical to be down to the second, then you you can ignore this possibility. But if it is, you may need to store the appropriate values and adjust. Yeah, which means that you got to find out that a leap second is coming and figure out what in the system is going to be affected by it. Mm-hmm. So you may also, instead of, like if you're, when you store a time range, um, one trick that I've seen is you store a start date and a duration. Instead of a start and an end. Right. You know, if it's that critical, because typically if it, if it is that critical, you're doing something that's billing by the second or you're consuming something by the second. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, that second matters at the end. Yeah, but some seconds are longer than other seconds. That is correct. Which is also loads of fun, you know, with things like, you know, industrial machinery and pumps and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, there's there's a whole other world of problems oh, there. Oh, but I bet that would be so interesting to code. Oh, yeah. Well, what they do is they have clock, you know, they have they have a clock that is the system time and then they have something that pulses that's just a clock pulse. Yeah. That isn't connected to that. In other words, they don't use system time to calculate how, how much, much volume they've poured through right. because th- that isn't. Reliable. They have their own quartz watches that they set themselves, basically. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that 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 makes sense. But um, I still think it would be fascinating to to code for that. And the next assumption that developers make is that you can store any date you want, and you can, so long as that date is after 1970. <sighs> Historical dates will very likely give you problems. Uh, Date time types tend to be optimized to handle more recent dates. I have run into this in some apps that I've worked in where C sharp will take any date back to zero AD, but the database will not take a date before 1970. And we have records that go back beyond 1970 that were hand keyed into the old database and transferring them over that was a headache and a half. That or that data type does Oracle not have a like a long date time or something? I'm I'm not sure. I ended up not having to be the one that dealt with it. Ah, make it somebody else's problem, right? Winner, winner, <laughs> chicken dinner. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the old older dates being encoded in a different manner. You have different calendars that were in use. Yeah, and so you may say, okay, this was this date, but they've. There have been adjustments. So this happens more with you know, really old dates, like Renaissance dates and those kind of things, because they, you know, the calendars were still being worked on. And mm-hmm. so they had to make adjustments. You know, this is why we have April Fool's Day. It used to be the beginning of the year. Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. For some people, I mean, and I still start, you know, like I do my planning for the year. That's that's the kickoff date for things. Um, but you had, you know, the old uh, you had the old Julian dates. You had uh, lunar calendars, those kind of things. And converting those to modern dates can be tricky. But yeah, when you when you deal with historical dates, there's a whole nother world of hurt right mm-hmm. there. Just, you know, between the encoding and, you know, how that date is actually stored. And then you get to dates that are, you know, like BC. And oh, by the way, you know, 0 AD, January 1st, 
uh, you know, th- there's there's issues with calculating that too that are also political football. <laughs> so it it just gets really it gets nasty if you start getting historical dates in the mix. Mm-hmm. Next, adding an offset to a date will give you a result that will make sense to humans. Right, and it might. However, remember the whole leap second thing? One of those could have happened in that interval. So it may not, you know, it, it may be a second shy mm-hmm. of what you think it should be. Or if you get a negative leap second, it may be a, a second ahead. So that can be a problem. Uh, daylight savings time can be an issue. People don't think about that. You know, if they're, you're adding multiple days and you're going across that boundary. Or if the DST stuff, ca- you know, changes. Mm-hmm. And you know that that change is coming. You know, it may get calculated that, that same way. Changes to time zone rules, same principle. So you might get surprised by that. Yeah, you, you want to determine whether adding the offset is intended to handle time as understood by UTC or by humans, and then use the appropriate version. Right, because the way humans perceive time and the way computers do it, it's, it's not the same thing. Right. It's very close to the same thing, which is why it hurts. Mm-hmm. So here's another one. Uh, when making a thread sleep, you can trust the number of milliseconds you provide to be respected. So in, for instance, if you call thread.sleep 1000, you know, with that parameter being milliseconds, you'd expect it to sleep for one second or for at least more than a second, right? Right. And that's a reasonable assumption most of the time, except when it's not. There's a couple things that come into this. One is that system timers have granularity. Um, I remember back in the Visual Basic 5, Visual Basic 6 days, I think it was like 54 milliseconds was the granularity of the timer I could get on the system using the VB6 timer, which meant that if I did something and said it was less than 20 milliseconds, it was instant. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just wouldn't it wouldn't go below that because of the way the system timer worked and all right. the callbacks and all the stuff that had to happen. So you have that you have a latency built in just for the machine understanding that clock pulse. Right. And then there's there's also um, your accuracy, like plus or minus right. around what it is. So, I mean, this is why you have, you know, high performance timers and stuff for things like video games mm-hmm. is because the, the timers that are used for business applications are not the same as what would be used for controlling sprites in a video game just because the accuracy has got to be different and what features are available and getting low level enough with the hardware mm-hmm. to get that. Like that, that's not something that's worth doing for an accounting application more than likely. Now, another thing that can happen, and we talked about this before, is you might also be in a VM that is paused. So you can't assume that you did actually come back. It's, it's basically, hey, I went to sleep and I came back, not I slept for eight hours. It's the right. same assumption you make when you go to bed at night. You don't go, oh, I'm awake. It must be time to go to work. You just go, oh, let me look and see what time it is and then take appropriate action. You kind of have to do the same thing when you're doing a thread sleep. Right. It's I'm awake and it's light out. Let me look at the time. Oh, I've got another hour and a half until I have to get out of bed. Yes. Sleep. So I'm going to hit snooze. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. What is what is an hour and a half divided by nine minutes? You ever notice how they're always nine minutes? It's like, man, it's a jerk move. It's like you're going to make me do math. I'm trying to go back to sleep. Awful people. Well, I just, honestly, I, I think of an hour and a half as one REM cycle, 90 minutes. Yeah. And so I don't hit snooze. I turn it off and set set an alarm to go off an hour and a half later. Ah, okay. Must be nice. Um, another thing that can happen with thread sleeps is the system might be under load. And so it doesn't get back to you for a minute. Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, and this is not something that happens as much as it used to. 
because we really do have a lot of surplus processor power on our desktops now for most people. Developers, you know, you get Visual Studio Enterprise Edition, you know, ReSharper, IIS, SQL Server, MySQL, Oracle, five or six other things on there, maybe not so much. But if the system gets under load, it's basically got a scheduler in there. And if it doesn't get to you in that amount of time, you're not gotten to in that amount of time. Yeah. That's all. So you can't you can't make assumptions on this. Yeah, we had an issue with this back when we first started podcasting with WordPress and its scheduler because we scheduled the posts to come out at midnight and WordPress went down from and I think it was like there was server maintenance or something. I'm not sure, but our site went down from 11:55 to about 12:15. So it missed that window, that midnight window that it was supposed to publish. And instead of going, it's back up. Oh, hey, it's after when I'm supposed to publish. I'm going to go ahead and publish immediately. No, it's just missed it. And it yeah. never, we found out the next morning when we got up and the episode hadn't published. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that happening. And that, you know, that's why you don't trust the time. <laughs> right. Because, you know, the system could go down. And that's why I now stay up till midnight every Wednesday night, making sure that it posts. Yeah. So the big thing here is just assume that a thread sleep is relatively fuzzy. In other words, don't assume that it's going to be accurate as far as the amount of time that it's going to pause for. Just go, okay, I need it to, you know, to go away for a second or more and be okay with that. Now, another thing is if you're using thread sleep, um, especially like in a web server type environment or a service, that's probably a bad idea anyway, just in terms of, hey, you're losing this thread. So that most of your languages now are starting to kind of have primitives for async and those kind of deals. So the penultimate assumption that people make is that they assume that clock ticks advance monotonically, as in varying in a way that the rate of variation never increases or decreases. Right. So, you know, I guess the best way to put this is nope. <laughs> the best way to put this is tick tock on the clock but the party don't stop. Yeah. Oh. So, so a good example of this, there is a windows timer tick count that yeah. you might see used sometimes in code. It's been a long time, honestly, since I've seen it, but it, it happens. Um, it, it was a 32 bit integer for a long time, which meant that it rolled over every so often. And yeah. so if you go, Oh, I'm going to record the tick count here and I'm going to record the tick count here. And then I'm going to sort by that and assume that that's a sorting on time. That doesn't work. Okay. Um, that That's just, that's not a thing. Tick counts are not intended to be used for this. They're just no. not. You just go, okay, this never... is how long the operation took. Maybe. I wouldn't think to use it that way because like you said, it rolls over. Yeah. Now I when mean, you get like... to 64-bit, you know, that's not as big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I can't but... remember if they've done that with the tick count though. Even still, it's. It's not for that. Yeah. That's not what that's designed for. Like. Right. I can see, I can see occasionally. Oh, I have to use it for this until I can find a better way. Yeah, or I'm hacking in some kind of performance counter type. You know, this is a quick napkin calculation of how fast this thing is, or how much I improve the speed. Right, and I'm going to yank this out like it's not permanent. Right, you don't run production software with that assumption. Exactly. Yeah, like like we said, this is just not intended for that. So. The final assumption we have is, well, this is a fun one. Your software will never run on a spaceship orbiting a black hole. And 
This is funny that you put this as the ultimate, because just recently I saw the movie Interstellar, which has to do with the way black holes affect time. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it's not going to be close enough that it actually really warps time Mm -hmm. because you have a whole other problem then. It's called an event horizon and you're going to get crushed. However, assume that we overcome that. Should we do so, your software is going to have a problem circling a black hole. And, you know, my, my code, honestly, I've, I've worked in code bases that were the programmatic equivalent of a black hole. <laughs> um, you know, you, once you get in, once you get in, there's crushing pressure. Uh, there's no light escape, so you can't escape. You know, that's just it. All your time goes away. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 fair. Nobody sees you again. You grow beard. You, know, you grow your neck beard out in the basement. Yeah, it's great. So once relativity gets into the mix, things are not going to work well, especially if your measurement of time has to match that of the outside. Now, I'm, let's be honest. How many of us are ever going to write code that's going to be in a spaceship circling a black hole? Probably none of us. If that ever happens, like there's a whole other set of problems that are going to occur. But the reason I put this in here is because we need to bear in mind that time is not the way we typically think about it. Right. I mean, you and I have a couple of friends that could potentially have bits of their code. Like they're, they're way up there on the, the IQ scale. That yeah. They, they could. Like, yeah. One of his name rhymes with Mondre. Yeah, there's there's one or two of our friends that I could see that happening to. But for the majority of people, you know, it's not going to happen. This is just a Well, a this was a fun one, and it's a reminder that yeah. time is not, it's not a simple thing. Date and time libraries exist for a reason. And that reason is because date and times are complex to deal with programmatically, especially if they aren't the main purpose of your application. Most developers will use these libraries to cut some of the complexity out of their day. However, even with good libraries, there are a number of things that can still prove troublesome when dealing with dates or times. And you'll have to protect yourself against them because they're likely out of scope for whatever library you're using. Being smart about this can reduce the risk of Screwy bugs, especially when time-related issues occur. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to throw a point out here, and that is to, um, you know, it's the time of year when people are doing a lot of charity type stuff. And, you know, it's very important to to think about what a charity costs before you start engaging in it. It's, it's not the whole thing of, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him to fish and feed him for a lifetime. But you actually need to think about the impact that your charity has. In other words, are you actually helping people or are you drawing attention to yourself? This is the time of year when we should be thinking about that. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for this. But one thing I really want to point people to is figure out before you start giving money where that money goes how much of it goes to the charity versus how much of it goes to the people it's trying to help. Um, there's a lot of things that they, they tell you that, hey, this money's going to help the poor, and most of it doesn't ever make it to them. You know, bear, in mind, you know, bear in mind the cost. Also bear in mind the cost to you. Uh, there are situations where you can feel charitable and you can go, okay, I want to help this person, but it may damage you. So just be a little bit cautious about that. Like Don't, don't overgive when you, it's not going to help. 
don't overgive, especially when it's going to hurt. In other words, when somebody's staggering down the street and they reek of alcohol and they ask you for you know, 10 bucks so that they can buy lunch, maybe it's not a good idea to give them 10 bucks because they might buy another bottle of Ripple with that. Yeah, but it's not a bad idea to go buy them lunch. Right. Um, you know, and as, you know, as awkward as it, as it is, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I really, I really loathe the fact that reason and season rhyme, especially this time of year. Um, there, you know, there is a reason that we have this season of the year and it is to actually help other people, yeah. but be sure that you're doing it, like quantify it and make sure you're on target. And that's just an important thing to remember this time of year. So I just, I want to throw that out there and it's completely not a programmatic thing. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Look for us each week on Facebook Live before we record each episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.